Well, one of the things that um, I do regularly is, is make my way through the, the membership directory of our church. Uh, we keep this updated and we give it out to, to, to members and the pastors and staff pray through it every time we get together. Just take a page at a time and kind of work through. And one of the, one of the unique both gifts and, uh, don't hear this the wrong way, but burden that comes with being a, being a pastor is, is how aware you are of what's going on in the lives of, of everybody. Um, it's a blessing because it's so encouraged to watch so many of you trusting the Lord in the midst of, of all kinds of things that are going on, to, to hear of answered prayers and to see God moving and, 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 and all of this. But, but at the same time, it's, it's also it's hard. And the reason it's hard is because, because we love you. And we know that not everything's easy. If you're visiting with us this morning, you, you might have been tricked by looking around and thinking, well, in general, this looks like people who, yeah, I mean, kind of maybe have it all together. I just want you to know that that's, that's just, that's not the case. We live in a broken world and there's nobody that escapes that brokenness. There's nobody, no matter what they wear or how much they smile on the outside, that doesn't have scars and have wounds and have burdens and have afflictions. I was looking through the directory, and I, I won't give specific examples, but um, just thinking of the things that people are, are facing. I mean, right now we have members who are, uh, yeah, just the hurricanes upon them as they're in Florida. And we have others who are in this room right now, but their hearts are in Florida because of, or in, in Houston, because of loved ones who are being affected by the storms. Then we have other members who have mysterious sicknesses that they just can't figure out what it is that's going on and it never seems to go away. Some of those are accompanied by persistent pain that just always seems to be there. Others have sicknesses that have been diagnosed and that is even more daunting it seems for them. There's others who long to, to be married and the Lord has not given a spouse yet. There are others who are married and feel as if they're trapped and they have nowhere to go. There's others who face infertility, longing to have a child or more children, and the Lord does not open the womb. There's others who have had miscarriages. Among us, there are those whose jobs are constantly in flux, and there's anxiety all the time, wondering whether you have a job the next day. And there's others who are jobless and maybe have been for a while. There's many of us who have despair and depression and a dark cloud that just never seems to go away. Many of these are just, just realities that, I mean, just are happening right this moment in this room. You can't escape pain in this world, you can't escape affliction. I think one of the things that's very important in the midst of all of our, at times, disorienting storms of life is to ask, what do you think God thinks about it? Do you think He sees it? Do you think He cares about it? And do you think He is able to do something about it, even if it doesn't mean that He'd stop the circumstance, but... But do you think he's able to give you peace and strength to be able to make it all the way through? 
Well, this is the sort of lesson I think that Jesus is teaching his disciples as we look at our text in Luke chapter 8 this morning. Again, we are in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. We're on the heels of Jesus having just taught his disciples that they need to listen to the word because the word gives life and there is circumstances all around them very often unseen in regards to spiritual circumstances where there is a war going on for their hearts that they need to listen to the word because he has authority well what Jesus is about to do is he's about to bring them into a circumstance where they're going to feel their need for help and he is going to prove his authority He's actually going to do that in the next several scenes. This morning we're going to look at his authority over nature and the calming of the storm. And our next time together, his authority over the demonic realm. And then after that, his authority over sickness and death, proving that indeed he is who he said he is and that we indeed should hear and receive and trust his, his word. So let's jump into the story with these disciples here in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. One day, he, meaning Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. This is, the lake is the Sea of Galilee. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went, and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Our big idea this morning that we're going to we're going to watch. We're not really going to have any points that go with this. We're just going to take this big idea through the story and watch how it unfolds. The big idea is this, that That God proves His faithful power by putting us in situations that expose our need for Him. God proves His faithful power by putting us in situations that expose our need for Him. Now this, this... account here is recorded also in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4. And both of those authors, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, give uh, some other details that I'll reference as we go through this to kind of fill in the story even a little bit more. But let's start back where they're on shore and they're about to get into the boat and go with Jesus. Right after it's been a long day of, of teaching and ministry here in 822 again, he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So it's been a long day of, of ministry here, and Jesus calls his disciples, let's, let's hop into the boat, and we're going to the other side of the Sea of, of Galilee here. So, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 23, so they, they set out, 
And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now, the Gospel of Mark tells us uh, that there's other boats with them, uh, probably some other people who had been around teaching and like, Jesus is rolling out, we're with him, we're going to go across. And uh, Mark also tells us that Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat on a cushion or a pillow. So they, they get to sailing and Jesus is like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and the journey is, is, it starts off well here. It's probably I mean, it's implied here that it's peaceful, it's a calm day. Have you ever been on a boat? If you're not terrified of boats, it's relaxing. Wind is filling their hair, filling the sails. All's well across the sea they go. And Jesus says, it's time for some shut-eye. Now, before we move into the story, I just need to pause here, because I think there's a good place to point out here that Jesus got tired It's not the only time we see Jesus getting tired. You see in John 4, after a long day, he stops at the well. He's going to be refreshed. He gets thirsty. He eats. The reason I want to point this out is because this is is one of the clear places where his true humanity is highlighted for us. We can see here that Jesus is man. He is the the God-man. Now, this is important to point out because this is one of the damnable heresies throughout history that that denies this reality. They see some of the things that Jesus does and they say, well, he he must not really have been a man. He he must just really be this this great spirit being or maybe he's he's truly God but he's not actually man. Some of the early Gnostic writings, this is one of the the early heresies of the, uh, have you ever heard of like the Gospel of Thomas or those sorts of things? Uh, It was written by Gnostics who believed that that Jesus actually didn't have a body, he just had an illusion of body. One of the the Gnostic writings said that, that Jesus walked on the seashore but he had no footprints. Meaning he looked like he was there but he wasn't actually there. He's, he's greater than that. The Bible wants you to know, no, that's a lie. Jesus is the God-man. Hear this from 1 John chapter 4. It says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh it is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. So I just I give this to you because I want you to know this is not just some ancient heresy. This is modern day stuff as well. There are still people who uh, say they represent God who lie about God and lie about Jesus. So for instance, there's a pastor named Creflo Dollar. Creflo Dollar is a well-known pastor who has service Sunday morning in Atlanta and then catches a plane and flies up and has service in Madison Square Garden in New York on Sunday evening. He has a very large following. But in one particular sermon that had this this text in it, I think it was actually the, the Mark account, he's going through and he's talking about what's happening here with Jesus. And he says, he says, he quotes Psalm 121 that says, God never sleeps nor slumbers. And then he proceeds to go, and you can look this up on the internet, it's there. He proceeds to go on to say that Jesus must not have been God then. He must not have, have, have really been God because never, he never sleeps nor slumbers. I want you to know that God, Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. Colossians 1.17 says that in him all things hold together. So that means while you're reading through this account and you watch Jesus go, to, go night-night in the boat, 
Jesus is holding the universe together while he's sleeping on the pillow. This is, this is who we see in the boat here, which will become all the more clear soon. You see, because Jesus has brought his disciples here onto the sea for a reason. He's going to get some shut-eye, but they are about to get schooled. See, he's been giving them lecture, but he's about to take them to the lab. And the class is Stormology 101. They're going to learn something about him and about storms. So verse 23, a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. The Gospel of Matthew says they were swamped by the waves. The words that are used here are are graphic words. The word filling, it means to fill all the way to the top. You ever had a bathtub that starts filling up? You're like, oh, that's near the top. I need to turn it off. It's that kind of picture. The water is rising in this boat. It's swamped. It's covered with water, literally. This storm has, has kicked up waves that are crashing into the boat. And it's as if the sea has grown hands and is just dumping buckets of water into their small ship. It's flooded and it's, it's to the point here that these experienced fishermen are starting to freak out. Their, their concern has become panic, and they think that they are going to die. Now, I, I'm not sure if you've ever been in a boat in a storm. How many of you have ever been in a boat in a storm before? Okay. It is not the place that you want to be. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, we were in Maine vacationing. And my father uh, and I went out on a sailboat that he made. Didn't you, Dad? Yes. 14-foot sailboat, wonderfully made, except, except as this, we were out there going along, all was well, and then a storm begins to come in, and we see it. And when they, they come on the sea, they come fast. So we were like, hey, look at those pretty clouds. Those aren't pretty anymore. And here it comes, and the wind starts blowing, which is helpful for sailboating until the rudder comes off, and the little pin goes down into the water. <laughs> so there we are, and the wind begins to blow, and the waves begin to crash, and um, we start doing a little bit of this on the way in. So we've got a paddle, and it, is, it was, I mean, the storm didn't get all the way there before we got to the, to the shore, but I tell you what, as those waves began to come, and the wind began to blow, and you feel out of control, there's nowhere like being out of control like being in the middle of the ocean. And that's where these guys are right here. They're in the middle of the sea, and they are being, they are being, they are being attacked, as it were, by these, these waves. They think they are going to die. The disciples are in trouble. Now, this is really important. I need to make an observation here. Up to this point in the story, what did the disciples do wrong? Look at it again. Look at the text. Look at 22 and 23. What did the disciples do wrong? Do you see it? Nothing. They didn't do anything wrong. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Get in the boat. Go to the other side. Now, the reason that that's important to notice is because very often we assume that when a storm sweeps into our lives, it's because we've done something wrong. 
You assume that God's angry with you or maybe he's disciplining you. But that's, that's not what's happening here. In fact, it was their very obedience that led them straight into the storm. You see, sometimes trials and tribulations come because we disobey God. That is true, but that's another sermon for another day. But sometimes they come because you've obeyed Him. This is important, especially for those of you who are just beginning your walk with Jesus, and you've begun to follow Him, and then all of a sudden it seems as if all of your life is falling apart. I just want you to know that that's... That's not God being angry at you or proving that He's not there. Very often, the Lord wants us to be tested. You see, because one of the things that Jesus wants to make really clear as we watch Him teach what it means to follow Him is that we do not follow Jesus so that we can avoid pain and problems. But rather, we follow Jesus because He promises to carry us through the storm no matter what. Everybody in this life faces pain. There's nobody that escapes that. Even Jesus himself. The disciples are here. The the, the storm comes in and the disciples freak out. And as they did, they did the right thing. They went to Jesus. 8.24 And they went and they woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. In Matthew's account, it says, Master, Master, save us, we are perishing. They right here are brought to the very end of their ability to do anything. These waves of tribulation have crashed in and have washed away any illusion that they can make it through this alone. It's important to note this. Jesus put them in this position where he knew this was going to happen to them. These are professional fishermen. Navigating storms is something that they are used to and they are able. Probably more able than anybody else on the planet in one sense. But remember this, no matter how able you are, Jesus is always able to bring circumstances into our lives that push us beyond our own ability. And he does it on purpose. Because what he's doing is he is forcing us to look beyond ourselves for help. They woke him saying, Master, Master. And in Mark's account he says, Do you not care that we are perishing? Master, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? These feelings of fear and terror and anxiety that come upon them are the same sorts of feelings that come upon us. And what we find here for them and for us is that these are, they are great aids to reveal what we really think and what we really trust and what we really believe. I mean, listen again. Do you not care that we are perishing? Their desperate cry right there exposes two thoughts that very often we have in our own trials. What are they? What's the first one? Do you care? And the other one is, are you in control? 
Do you care that we are perishing? Do you not care? You see, storms are indeed scary. But what's even scarier is to think that God is apathetic to how they affect you. To to know that He's good, but to wonder if He's really good to you. To know that, yeah, I know theologically you care, but, but to wonder if He cares about you. Have you ever felt like the disciples there? You see, they're getting crushed, and they look over, and Jesus is hitting the snooze button. Have you ever felt that way? That that in the midst of your suffering and you feel like God is just sleeping? Where are you? Where are you? Do you not care that we are perishing? These men felt as if they were going to die. Which I think highlights another kind of unspoken, but I think underlying issue here. They're wondering are you in control? Jesus, are you, are you all talk? Or do your words really mean something? Do you care that we are perishing? Now, Jesus didn't say this to them, but he could have looked at them and said and asked them a question. What could he have asked them? Who told you you were perishing? That's a John Henderson soul ninja question right there, right? <laughs> Who told you you were perishing? I mean, think about it for a moment. Where did they hear that? Why why did they think that Jesus had brought them out to the middle of the sea to die? Where have you heard that before? Besides your own life, where else have you heard that before? Old Testament, Exodus. You've got the Israelites. You remember that? When they're, they're brought out from Egypt, and everything's hunky-dory until they get down to the Red Sea and they're like, there's no ferry here, and here comes Pharaoh. Right? And you remember what they did? You remember what they said to Moses? They looked at Moses and they said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? Do you not care that we're perishing? <laughs> and what did Moses do? Do you remember? Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And Moses rose up and he raised his staff and God parted the Red Sea and Israel went through to safety and made it where? To the other side. Well, here in this scene, you're about to see the greater Moses and he's going to rise up and he's going to raise his voice and he's going to do the same exact thing. And he, meaning Jesus, awoke and he rebuked the wind. Mark says, peace, be still. And the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Jesus stood up, he looked the storm in the face, and he said, wind, cease your blowing. Waves, cease your crashing. And they did. That is amazing. I mean, think about that. I mean, we have, we have trouble trying to get the toilet to flush sometimes. And Jesus, 
Jesus looks at the storm in the sea and says, stop. And everybody, boom, just stops. <laughs> you wish you could have replays of stuff in the Bible. I would just have loved to have seen that. Like, just get a gif of that thing going all the time and just put it, I need that all the time. Rolling. And then, school's back in session, verse 825, and he said to them, where is your faith? Now, this is really important. He turns the attention to them. He doesn't say, that was pretty good, huh? I mean, like, he's just, that's not what he does. Because one of the things you learn about life is that everything, it's just, a, it's just the setting for the sovereign to be teaching lessons. Every setting in life, it, it, it's, it's just another stage. It's a stage on which you and God, there's something going on, and God's saying, we're going to teach you something in this. That's exactly what he does about the, with the disciples here. He goes, okay, what's the lesson? And they're like, <laughs> you know. He asks them, where is your faith? In, in, in Mark, it says, why were you so afraid. Where is your faith? I mean, picture the disciples. They're standing there, dripping wet, staring at him, just full-on brook trout. You know what I mean? I mean, just mouth open, looking at him, dripping wet, and he says to them, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Now, on the one hand, it makes complete sense why they were afraid. Storms are scary. They are. Jesus in no way in asking this question is denying the fact that storms are scary. Whether it's a hurricane or a heart attack. Whether it's a loss of a job or a loss of a relationship. Whether it's a persistent pain or a betrayal of a friend. Storms are scary. You feel out of control. There's hurt. There's pain. You can't make it stop. There's nothing that you can... You can't really do anything. And that's terrifying. That's why billions upon billions of dollars are spent all the time trying to fix things and keep things in order. But I love how the, the NIV draws out the heart of what he's saying here. From, from the Mark version, it says, Why are you so afraid? I think it's certainly implied here. You see, an appropriate fear, the storm, has been overblown. It has gotten the best of them. They, <laughs> the storm's real. It's scary. But, but they've forgotten or misunderstood who they're in the boat with. You see, they aren't just in the boat with some Roman rabbi or some country carpenter here. They're in the boat with the very Son of God who created the seas that they've been sailing upon. And this is where the storm brings them. Verse 8.25 And they were, what's the word? Afraid. <laughs> and they were afraid. Why are they afraid? The storm stopped. What are they afraid of? They were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? 
You see, the disciples, it says here that they feared and they marveled. Do you see what's happened? Already, they've been changed by the storm. Who is this man who can make the winds stop swirling and the waves cease from crashing? Who is this one who goes from sleeping to saving, from resting to rescuing, from snoring to telling the seas to stop roaring? Who is this man? Now, what had been going on in their mind, because these guys, they knew their Old Testament. In the Old Testament, who is it that is clearly the one who's sovereign over the seas? It's the Lord God. Psalm 65, 6 and 7. The Lord is the one who by His strength established the mountains, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Psalm 89, 9 through 11. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have formed them. God made the sea and He rules over it. Isn't that what God told Job? You remember after all of Job's suffering and God begins to question Job, He says in Job 38.4, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who shut in the sea with doors and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. God was saying to to Job, Who rules the sea, Job? I do. There's not one thing that happens in God's universe. Not even one splash of a wave that He does not rule and reign over. And that's what He's saying to Job. Can you understand that, Job? No, you can't. But you've got to trust me. What the disciples are asking here is, who is this who has the power of God? Who is this who can speak and stop seas from roaring? They fear and they marvel. Their worry has turned into worship. They don't get it all, but they know Something about this guy is different. They marvel at him. Their estimation of Jesus has skyrocketed. See, something we've got to understand in the midst of all this is that faith is not a lack of fear. Faith is not a lack of fear. We're all a mixed bunch all the time. Rather, faith produces a fear of God that puts all other fears in their place. That's what faith is. Faith produces a fear in God that puts all other fears in their place. So yes, God some 300 times says, fear not. Totally true. That doesn't mean you don't run when there's a bear coming after you. But what it means is you fear God who's bigger than the bear. It doesn't mean when a hurricane comes that you don't flee, the, you don't flee its path. Yes, do that, but fear God who's greater. It doesn't mean that when you get diagnosed with cancer that you don't Fear, but yes, but fear God who is greater. doesn't mean when persecution comes, it's, oh, it's nothing, I have great faith. No, that's, that's silly. 
That's not biblical faith. It's crying out, I don't know what to do. Help me. I trust you. You alone are my hope. That's faith. Yes, the storm is scary, but help comes from the Lord who's able to say, peace be still to our hearts and to our hurts. You see, fear is ultimately misplaced faith. It thinks too highly of the circumstances and too lowly of God who holds them all. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it's a good illustration, so here we go. Um, I heard a story of two well-known artists who were called together. And these, these two artists, evidently, that they, they received a challenge, and the challenge was for them to, to paint on a canvas in front of everybody scenes that depicted peace. And, and the first artist, he, he gets at it, and he, he paints this horizon with lilies on it and butterflies and trees blowing with a gentle breeze, and it's very warm, and, and it, it's peaceful when you're looking at it. But the second artist... Very dark, and there's, there's torrential rain, and there's this big rock that's over here, and everything's gray and black and brown and dark purples, and you can hardly see what's going on, just the, the lightning in the background, and you can tell there's this fierce storm with water, and there's, there's these waves crashing against a rock. But over in the corner, the very bottom of this painting, there's, there's a little hole-like thing, and there's a bird that's in the cleft of the rock, sound asleep. That's the peace that God gives. Now, he's going to take us to a land where the first one is, but that ain't here. Sometimes you get those days, but most days are much more like the other. This is why Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What are you afraid of, he says. <laughs> Jesus wants us to trust him and fear him more than we fear or trust anything else. And this is where peace in the storm comes from. You see, the way to have your fears silenced is to bring them to the Savior and to lay them before Him so that you might marvel and say, Who is this? And this is, this is the, the, verse 25 here, is, it's the climax of the account. You see, surviving the storm was important, but what they think about Jesus through it all is more important. The storm had a purpose. Jesus, Jesus didn't tell them what he was going to do when they got into the boat. Now, this is also very important. Because what if Jesus said, by the way, I'm going to take you out there and you're going to be in the worst storm you've ever been in. You think you're going to die. What do you think the disciples might have done? Uh, no. That's scary. Yeah, Jesus rarely tells us what's coming down the line. Because we don't need to know that. What we need to know is that he'll be faithful when we get there. But he puts them in this situation, rather, to expose them. And then he asks them the question, where is your faith? Now, I don't know how you hear that question, but I've always heard it as being condemning. 
You're a loser, disciples. Why art thou such losers? That's the way I normally read it, because I usually think God's basically displeased with me. I don't think that's entirely what's happening here. Should there be conviction? Yeah, true. But I think, I think more than it's to be condemning, I think it's to be illuminating. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? What are you trusting in? Who do you think I am? Why do you think I brought you out here? Do you think I'm good? Do you think I'm powerful? Do you think I care about you? Do you think I will keep my word that said, we're going to the other side? See, Jesus is sleeping in the boat because he knows where he's going. He's going to the other side. He said, we're going to the other side. And he knows that the Father will get them there. So certainly he's the instructor, but he's also a model here. This is why he had such peace in the midst of the storm. It's because Jesus was going to the other side. Listen, I don't know what exactly you're facing. You do. But I want to assure you of this, that God could stop the storm. But he will only stop the storm if it's good for you. He will only stop the storm if it's good for you. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is upright. All his works are done in faithfulness. You see, God values things differently than we do. God does not put as much stock in comfort as we do. There are no cruise ships to heaven. He, he is less concerned with our comfort in the journey and much more focused on the certainty of us arriving at our destination. And along the way, He will do whatever it takes to help us to know who He is and to trust Him more. Because you see, calamities, they often force us to wrestle with who Jesus is in ways that we never would have apart from Him. I mean, right now, we could go around this room and say, tell me, what's the greatest thing God's ever taught you or done for you? And I, I am willing to bet that a vast majority of those have to do with some sort of, the context would have been some sort of pain. Some sort of time where you were out of control. Some sort of time where you waited a lot longer than you thought you were going to have to wait. Some time when you were a lot hungrier than you thought you were going to be. Or a lot more lonely than you thought you were going to be. Or a lot more hurt than you thought you were going to be. Now, as I say that, I want to be very clear about this also. While God is not all about our comfort, He is also not callous to our pain. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves the crushed in spirit. So the Lord cares. Where is Jesus in all of this? He's in the boat with them. Now next time, Stormology 102, here in a little while, when they're out there, and He's not in the boat with them, they're out there getting splashed about, and, and then where does, where does Jesus show up, though? He shows up at the boat. And you remember what Peter did? Peter's like, I think it's safer to be with him than in a boat. Peter was starting to get it. 
It's better to be with Jesus in the middle of the storm than in a boat over here where I've got perceived safety. He's not sleeping. He's saving you. Though very often he does it silently. He will do it silently at times. Now, some of you feel that the storm just never seems to cease. Days on end, weeks on end, months on end, years on end, seemingly decades on end. One wave of pain after another. Some of you have known torturous pain. And I just want to assure you that God nor I minimize your pain. But I want to encourage you this morning to let Jesus' questions sink in. Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Again, not to hear it as condemning, but as convicting and exposing. Certainly, unbelief is, a form, is certainly a sin. That is very true, and I'm not downplaying that in any way, shape, or form. But I, I do think it's helpful for us to remember that God knows that, that we're all in process. One of the very comforting verses in my life has been somewhere that I need to look it up because I always reference it and don't remember where it is, um, where I think it's in Isaiah, where the Lord says that He knows that we are but dust. He knows you're weak. He knows you're frail. He knows He's the one who gave you breath. He knows. He's patient with us. The disciples here are in process. They're figuring out who Jesus is, just like we are. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for about 18 years. I'm a pastor. I even went to seminary. And while there's, there's foundational things I know about Jesus that will never change, I am every single day getting to know Jesus, just like you are. We are daily growing in understanding of who he is and what it means to trust him and how to cry out to him in the midst of the storm and cling to him when everything else seems promising, but we know it won't actually help us. We are all a mix of fear and faith all the time. And while we all ask God to increase our faith, heroic faith is not what God requires. He requires humble, feeble faith. Which God says that very faith itself is a gift from God. So pray, yes, Lord, strengthen my faith. I want to have the resolve of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. But don't think that that's the only time that they ever had a situation. I don't think they weren't ever scared. So ask him to ease your pain, yes, but ask him more to increase your faith in him in the midst of the pain. And to help you to trust his promises while you wait to get to the other side. Promises like Romans 8, 18, where Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Paul says, this stuff right here is nothing compared to glory that is coming. And he follows that up in 8.28. We know that for those who love God, these who are His children, by faith in Christ and His death and His resurrection, for those that love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. How will God do that? I don't know. 
He is God and we are not. And there are times in this life when we can trace His hand of faithfulness through the storm and get glimmers of His faithful wisdom in the midst of our pain, but very often we are unable. And this, this by the way, is what, what I think makes trusting Him in pain so glorifying to Him. That on, some, on that, that day, whenever that day is, and we... S- We see Him, and we hear Him, and He looks down at those that the world never knew and who trusted Him on sick beds in the face of all of the mocking and shame, those who walked with Him in such trial when everything around them and everyone around them told them it was foolish, but they kept trusting, being carried by one another at times all the way home. God is magnified in that. And this is one of the things I want to encourage us to learn to do is to grab your anxiety and fear and pain and whatever it is and drag it very often with the help of a friend. Drag it to the cross and say, there he shows he loves me. And then to take it to the empty tomb and there he shows that he is in control. And then take it to the throne of grace and say, you promised grace in a time of need and I know it. And then take it some 10,000 years from now all the way to his, his glorious presence where where the angels will be singing and ten thousands upon ten thousands, people of every tribe, tongue, and nation will be marveling at His presence. Take it there and see it in light of Him fulfilling all the promises and then bring it back here. And I think you will find it still hurts, but it is a bit tamed. And you can make it the next step. You don't need to worry about making it three years from now. You need to worry about making it three minutes from now. And then take another step and then another step. And another step. You make it home one step of faith at a time by the grace of God. When fear of God is big, there is a peace that washes in where fear once held us captive. Now I want to be clear about something here. These promises and this hope are for God's people. So if you're here today and you... You, you, you know yourself not to be a Christian or you, you, you think that you're not a Christian. I, I want you to know that, that it's God's kind mercy that you're here today to hear about this Jesus right here. Just, this Jesus is not just some guy who lived a long time ago. He is the Savior of sinners like you and like me who came, and yes, he stilled storms, but he also went to the cross, and there on the cross, he died for all of the different ways that we don't trust God. And all the times we tried to make it happen on our own and we didn't look to Him. All of our sins and rebellions and unbelief. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He died on the cross for those sorts of sin and then He rose from the dead showing He doesn't have just power over storms, but He has power over the grave. And now He promises that anybody who will turn from their sin and trust in Him, they can be forgiven to be born again and reconciled unto God the Father and know Him and know this peace that passes all understanding. I want you to know that can be yours today. Even now. Just cry out to Him and say, God, save me. Give me that kind of faith. But for those of us who know Him, we know that we never graduate from our need for His grace. So, I want you, in closing, I want us to remember the fear gives opportunity for faith to be tested and stretched and strength. And Jesus says to us in the midst of it, peace, 
be still. We're going to the other side. And along the way, our souls and the souls of one another, we do this together. We can say, be still, my soul. We are almost home. He is faithful. That is our hope.